And this happens. It's a natural thing for the human race. Natural. Um, as the Exodus continues, they, uh, they, they journey through the wilderness, and it's no longer bitter water that's the problem, but water in general. You know, where is it? And there is none. And the solution, God has a solution. He brings water from a rock. Uh, food, does, food is not plentiful at all in the wilderness, and, and they freak out again. So, and then God brings manna. They send the 12 spies into the promised land. They're hopeful. They're ready to take the promised land. That's, you know, journeys over if they go in. But then they get a bad report and they lose hope. And back and forth and back and forth. And isn't that really the story of the human race? Is this something happens and people are happy and then something happens and people, their outlook is terrible. And this is not what God has for us. Because do we know what's going to happen in the future? No. Is it going to be hard or easy? Not a clue. Uh, are problems going to rise up? Well, certainly. But what kind of problems? How many? How often? How bad? None of us know this. God knows this. And God says, trust me. And that's our hope. And therefore, we know, spilling over into eternity, that we can hope in the God who has seen it all. He's already seen it all. And we can hope in Him. And so as we hope, then we apply this hope to others. That's what we look at today. While we're ministering to others, we hope that they're going to respond. As we're serving others, we hope that it's going to bring them closer to God. Do we know if it's going to bring them closer to God? Not a clue. Not a clue. But... We hope that it will. And therefore, our outlook, not just for ourselves, but for our service to others, is good, it's bright, it's actually exciting. So let's begin. We're going to begin in Ephesians 2. And let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for uh, the opportunity that we have to be together and learn His Word, to learn about such a great subject as love and all the aspects of it that um, are so important to our lives and our Christian lives. And so with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are and alone, you alone are great and powerful. You are all-knowing. You know the future and we don't. We know what you've revealed. We know in the future that we'll be all saints, all believers in this age and in, in past ages. We'll be face to face with you in heaven for all of eternity. That we know. We know that we will know fully you in eternity. Um, and how that works, we're unsure. But we know it to be true because you state it. We know, Father, that we will have resurrection bodies and that our Lord is returning at any time. And these things we know. What's going to happen tomorrow or even an hour from now, we're not, we don't know. But we know that you know it. And because you do and you have promised us, then we trust you. Because we trust, we hope. And so, Father, you have given us faith and hope and love. We thank you for your word that emphasizes that hope and it speaks about it so much so that we can be reminded 
because it's so easy for us, Father, as you know, to lose our good outlook on life. And so we ask, Father, through your Spirit that our outlooks would be made well. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So in our uh, main passage, love hopes all things. And that's where we're at now. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. In 1 Corinthians 13, 7. This means that love never exhausts hope. Uh, agape love. So if you lose hope, you're not walking in agape. So at least we know that. So you should change that. Uh, and it can change in a moment. It happened to me uh, recently, in fact, today, and it was super easy to change it back uh, to gain hope. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's just a, a matter of changing your perspective to what God says uh, when you lose hope or your expectation of the future looks bleak and gloomy, uh, you've, you've stepped out of it. And when you, when you know that, you can step back in by grace. Uh, hope looks to the future with a confident and happy expectation. I emphasize both confidence and happiness. Not just confidence, but also happiness. Now, that also means that we don't know, you know how much suffering is there going to be, how... Um, how hard it may be, how many trials, or will it be easy? Hard or easy, we don't know. But hope is a new thing for the believer. Uh, it's a brand new thing for the believer at salvation, because as the Scripture says, we see here in Ephesians 2, that there we had no hope. Now, of course, we hoped as unbelievers, but what we hoped for was all temporal. And that's what people... Do and, and uh, getting back to yesterday's message as well, and Sunday's actually, that God does not want us to worship temporary things. And when we hope in the temporary, we're worshiping the temporary. When we hope that, in other words, we say, well, our happiness depends upon some material, temporal, and our relationships with people are temporal. Marriages are temporal. Temporal just means for time. They're temporary. Uh, material things, wealth, power, fame, whatever, whatever people hope for are all temporal. People hope to get successful. They hope to get rich. They hope to fall in love. They hope to become famous. They hope to own a home. And they base their happiness on it. And if it works out, they get happy and hope is good. And if it doesn't work out, then hope is bad. Uh, amazingly for the human race, when we get what we want, we get very used to it, and, uh, and then we hope for something else. And we say, well, you know, and, and it just shows us that those things don't give us happiness. Uh, in the, that book I'm, almost, I'm just about done with on Apollo 11, um, uh, they mentioned how uh, the moon landing was like the Super Bowl of NASA, and they went back to the moon, and they've actually got guys driving around in a car on the moon. And you know what? They didn't put it on television. <laughs> it, just a few years later, everybody was like, well, why should we keep watching the Super Bowl, basically? They got tired of it. People got tired of it. They moved on. Like a, the most amazing scientific engineering uh, uh, accomplishment of mankind. And we were like, eh, what else you got? And it happens to, it's a thing with the human race. Uh, so, and then, you know, all of these temporary things that people hope in, 
And then we get old, and then we don't care about them anymore. You know, death encroaches upon us, and all the stuff that we hoped for over all those years, even if we have them, they don't hold meaning anymore. We're not taking them with us, we know that. And so hope is a a strange thing, because if it's real from God, it has to be in the eternal, not in the temporal. That doesn't mean we can't want the temporal. It's just that our happiness can't depend upon it. We'll talk about that coming up. So look at Ephesians 2.11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision by the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, right? So the Jews thought circumcision meant something, but again, it's temporal, it's in time. It's a symbol. It's not a reality. Uh, Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. No hope. And that's because we were without God. We were without the eternal. Uh, What the Jews didn't understand, if they didn't believe in Christ as their Savior, that they were also without the eternal. They thought that, well, I'm circumcised. I'm a Jew. I'm a child of Abraham. I have have hope in something. Is it eternal, though? Well, it's not. Those things are not eternal. What's eternal is Christ. What's eternal is salvation. So, but God, the love of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, does not leave us in this position in verse 13. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So for the believer, hope is eternal. And that's extremely important. So when I'm, excuse me, when I'm operating in agape towards another, and I hope, see this hope, there's a hope in the Bible that's for us. We hope for God's deliverance. We hope for the future for us. And that's actually the majority of what the Bible mentions, as far as I can see, is what as it, the emphasis of hope that it has. But when a, we're talking about agape, agape is always for others. And this is a hope for others. And so it's a hope that as I serve, as I give, as I do, as I work, as I use my spiritual gift, as I build that roof over them, right, I bear them up, as I... I'm patient as I'm kind and I'm not proud and arrogant and seeking myself and all of that. As I'm doing that to them, my hope is that their lives are going to be better in Christ. That's what I'm after. I'm not after temporal things for them. Like, I hope they get richer. I don't care (laughs) for us. Now, it'd be great. You know, if you get richer, great. Yeah, bravo. But uh, if you get healthier, great. But those things don't necessarily transfer over to a relationship with God. In fact, they cannot. So what are we really after in the lives of others? And that agape gets to the point of, it gets to the foundation of, that what I'm really after for you is your closer walk with God. Your closer, and it may be very close as well. But as I, that really guides me on what I help with. And, you know, not wasting my time. That's not so much a waste of time, but it can be that I waste my time trying to make people something that doesn't lead them 
closer to God. What we're after for what we're after here is our relationship with God and our our closeness to him. So for the believer hope is eternal and our hope therefore spills over in, in after death or over death and runs into eternity. Now in eternity there's a whole bunch of unknowns. We know hardly anything about it. And uh, and yet, we have hope in it because God tells us that it's going to be wonderful, that it's going to, we're going to know fully, uh, that we're going to <coughs> love God fully, uh, that we're going to be in resurrection bodies and in the presence of God perfectly forever without sin. These things we know, the details of it, what it's like to live in heaven for a billion years, and none of us can comprehend that. We don't know. But God knows. And so we trust him for that. So hope is really us doing all the things that God does without knowing the future. God does everything he does knowing the future. We do everything God does not knowing the future. Is it going to work? Is it, is it going to work out? Is it going to make someone better? Are they going to respond? Or are they going to persecute me and spit in my face? I, you know, I don't know that. But I'm not going to anticipate it either and therefore act in a more calculated way. Agape says I'm going to do as God does despite what happens. So, verse, uh, go to Romans 8:18. 8, Our hope is eternal. 8:18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. In verse 18, there's sufferings in this present time, right? And everybody has them. And uh, that's made clear. But Paul says here that they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that glory, you know, we know it's coming, but it truly is an unknown. And so that's a place of our hope. This glory of God, as we'll see in a second, the fullness of God is really going to be revealed to us in eternity. And so in that we hope. And then in verse 19 again, the anxious longing of the creation, meaning the earth, the natural, the flora and fauna of the earth, waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. It's God's way of saying, in, in my estimation, that you know the, the earth is waiting to be made perfect again. It's going to be made brand new. For the creation was subjected to futility by the fall of man, not willingly by the fall of man, but because of him who subjected it, God, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. <clears throat> so the creation itself hopes in our revelation, the glory of the children of God, where that will be eternity. And uh, as he says here, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 22 for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, 
Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons of the redemption of our body. So the problem with the earth isn't global warming, it's sin. It isn't climate change, it isn't uh, waste, it isn't nuclear war, it is sin. right? Because it's the fall of man that has caused the curse on the earth. And the curse on the earth will remain until the sons of God are revealed. And we ourselves, living in a cursed body, as it says, Paul says here, acknowledges that we groan within ourselves, and we all can relate to that, and that we eagerly await our adoption. We're already adopted in terms of our position in Christ, but this means the promotion of each of us at death or the rapture, in which we take on ourselves a resurrection body into eternity. (coughs) So he says in verse 24, for in hope, We have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he is already see what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And there's another aspect of love, which is perseverance. Agape love endures all things. And so uh, you know, marvelously here we have hope in the future, hope in eternity when we will be in our resurrection bodies. But we haven't seen it yet. And so we hope. And because we, don't, we hope in what we don't see, we persevere. And persevere means to do the will of God in time, no matter what. So until that time, our hope for... Sorry about that. My battery died in my mic. How many times does that happen? I need a particular mic opera, a battery person. That would be your sole job is to test the batteries every day. All right, here we go. (coughs) So, uh, until the time of our redemption of our bodies into eternity, uh, our hope flows from our position in Christ. As children of God, we possess the spirit of freedom. We possess the Holy Spirit who leads us in the way of eternal life. And that is just prior, the paragraph prior to the one that we just read in Romans 8, 12 through 17. We don't have a spirit of fear. We don't have a spirit. Our adoption is not leading us into fear again. It's not a spirit of fear, but as adoption as, as the children of God. And since we are children, we know that our father, he's our father, and he knows the future. And so as we perform agape love towards others, we know that good things are going to happen. And that's a fact. And, uh, and so i got to hurry up. Because there's, 
there's an aspect to that. There's a very common aspect to that. It's because it sounds really simple. I just love it. Everything's going to turn out great. And that's actually true. But, you know, uh, turn out great for whom? That we don't know. Because people may reject it. A lot of people do. God loved the world, and a lot of people have rejected him. Uh, people are going to reject our love as well. The servant's not above the master. We're going to be just like him and treated just like him. And so um, we cannot say that things are going to perfectly work out in a situation or for another person. It may not. And so <clears throat> we can't put our hope in that. We can't put our hope in their response because their response is a temporary thing. But what agape does is an eternal thing. And wherever God will use it. So go to 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 8. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, where it says, love never fails. Now, that sounds like if I love someone, it's going to all work out amazingly. Not true. So, never fails really means eternal. Notice the context. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, and there's various interpretations of when the perfect, does it mean the return of Christ? Does it mean the fulfilled, uh, the completed canon of Scripture? Does it mean eternity? Does it mean the rapture? Does it mean the second coming? And uh, all of those are viable options. (laughs) And nobody knows. And yet, we have to pause here and make sure we understand that Paul is not writing this to tell us that tongues are going to stop or that prophecy is going to stop at a certain time. He's not even concerned about that. So you can't use this verse to say tongues are no longer for today because of this verse. I personally believe that tongues are no longer for today, but not because of this. Paul doesn't say this for that reason. What Paul is using, that's why you've got to look at the, the full context of a passage. And what Paul is saying here is that love is eternal but the spiritual gifts are not. Right? So take the broad path here. Love is eternal. Agape love is eternal. But your service of me and my service of you are temporary. Because when we go into heaven, there's no longer a need for the gift of apostle. There's no longer a need for the gift of pastor. There's no longer a need for the gift of encouragement. If you're in a resurrection body in eternity, do you need to run to some other believer and say, please encourage me, I've lost hope? No, of course not. So the, t- the gifts are temporary. But what were the Corinthians doing? Elevating certain gifts, saying, I got the gift of prophecy. Oh, I got the gift of tongues. I got a great gift of tongues. It sound, I sound like an angel when I use it. And, you know, they were all into themselves and self-promoting based on gifts. And Paul is saying here, look, your gifts, although they're wonderful, they're temporary. And if you're using the temporary without the eternal, you're nothing. Right? You're just a gong. You're a noisy gong. You're nothing. You're of no profit. You do nothing. And that's what he's getting at here. But then he says something interesting about when the perfect comes. Now, to me, that's when the kingdom of God comes to the earth. I would think this is the second coming, but you know, there's plenty who would disagree with me. 
And I'll probably change my mind on that too in the future. Because it, Paul doesn't really say what it is. He said, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And that's all of these gifts. That's why I think it's eternity. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child and think as a child and reason as a child. But then I became a man and I did away with childish things. Right? So what is he saying? There's a time coming in the future where we won't be acting like children anymore. And to him, the child is a reference to this age of, well, we don't know everything. Right? We're in a temporary age where we don't know everything. God knows everything. We don't know a whole lot of stuff. So then he says in verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, then when the perfect comes, face to face. Face to face with what? For me, Jesus Christ. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. Fully known by God. Notice what this says. It's easy to pass over. and I think Satan has a big smile on his face when we're using this passage to debate the gift of tongues and we're missing completely the fact that in eternity we're going to know fully just as God has fully known us now. Right? God fully knows you now. God fully knows me. I don't fully know me. Thank God. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of stuff happening in my mind. I don't know why they happen, and I certainly don't know myself fully. But there's going to come a time where I know God as fully as he knows me now. Can you imagine such a thing? And then he says, but now abide, but now faith, hope, love, abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, why is that? Because faith and hope are temporary. I don't, we just read in Romans 8, you don't hope for what you see. When you're in heaven, you're going to see, as he says here, then face to face. We're going to see God face to face. We're going to know him fully, just as he knows us fully now. And I, I mean, I can't wrap my mind around that. How I am this brain. It won't be this brain, though, right? It'll be resurrected brain. I'm, assuring, uh, I'm assuming a much better brain. Then, you know, and I'm going to know God fully. And you are. And here we are, right, with this truth, Christians. Here we are meddling around and having our happinesses depend upon Temporal things, temporary things, and we're worshiping them. We're setting aside our relationship with God for chemicals to feed the lusts of our bodies, to you know, pursue things that are of a completely temporary nature. And all of us do it. But all of us have to overcome it by this truth. You put this truth into practice by means of God the Holy Spirit and you will overcome those weaknesses that put God aside and search out temporal things to waste upon your flesh or upon your desires. And therein lies hope. You see, as I pursue God and I lay aside all those temporal things, I don't know. My flesh is going to say, don't do it. It's going to be awful. You're not going to have that buzz anymore. You're not going to have that fulfilled desire anymore. You're not going to have that pinnacle of 
you know, it's temporary, we get it. But that pinnacle of feeling good, you're going to lay that aside to pursue God, you're going to be miserable. That's what the flesh says. And and he, he or she tends to scare the heck out of us. Say, ah, you know, I have wants. <laughs> and I, I need those things. And the, that's the flesh talking. And God says, you know what you need? You need me. And that's it. And you're messing around with all kinds of things that have nothing to do with me. And I'm trying to show you that what you're messing with has no value whatsoever and it's hurting you. It's not only not giving you anything eternal, but it's hurting you. And it's hurting your relationship with me. And you're running around in that circle in the wilderness. And you're not coming into the promised land as I call you to come in. So as a reminder again, agape is meant for others and so it's a hope for others. It's similar to never losing faith that God, that what we do for others is going to have a good effect on whom, where, when, we don't know. Hope is the application of faith that looks to the future, a future it cannot see, but believes that God, the, the God of all glory, is going to work all things together for good. It does not mean that everyone we love is going to become wonderful, faithful Christians. It means that we hope in God and we hope in them. And that hope, as Paul writes, never disappoints. Romans 5 5 says, The hope that we have never disappoints because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Spirit who was given to us. And so we hope. And this is a beautiful thing about agape is that when the people don't respond and don't respond and don't respond and don't respond and don't respond, what do you think keeps a pastor going? When the people don't respond and don't respond and don't respond, it's you could the person could respond any day now. And I don't know when they're going to respond. Heck, I never know when I'm going to respond. But we keep offering in love to them, and we hope. So, and this becomes a testimony to the world. So our hope for others means that we behave like God to them, supporting them in patience and kindness and mercy and in grace, and we don't know the results. God knows the results. God does what he does knowing the results. We do what God does not knowing the results. And so this becomes a witness to the world. Someone would ask you, why do you keep giving and supporting that person who does nothing but hate you in return? And our response would be that we hope in love. God didn't give up on the criminal hanging on the cross next to Christ, did he? That man was in paradise that day. God never gave up on Israel, still hasn't. He never gave up on me. He hasn't given up on the many that I know who are running away from him. And God chased them down and pursued them. And they responded. We have hope that the love we show to others will help them see and believe the gospel. And so we keep at it. Agape hopes all things. Go to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Now, most of the passages, as I just mentioned, deal with hope 
our hope as individuals hoping in God for the future, for our own future, uh, hoping in God's deliverance. That's what we see here in Psalm 33. Also in Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is about David's deliverance from the Philistines, which is just marvelous. But this one where he uses the word hope, uh, when it's the Hebrew word, and this is, as you'll see here, the Lord looking all over the earth. The Lord is always looking at every single person. And, that you know, we blanket this ability of God where we say God's omniscient, right? So God sees everything. He sees every soul. Hair of our head are numbered and all of that. But God particularly points out that he's looking at every single person here and judging what, kind, what type of person they are. Imagine there's almost 8 billion people on the planet and God is looking at every single one right now and has determined what type of person they are. And the David here is going to point out, all right, out of all of those people that God's looking at, who hopes in him, who fears him? And the two go together. 13, Psalm 33, 13. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. The imagery is marvelous here. It's almost as God sitting in a throne, just kind of beholding the whole earth and everybody on it. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he's a creator. He who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. The horse is a false hope for victory nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. So the kings of the earth say, well, I'm going to win this battle because I have this mighty cavalry, cavalry and uh, you know, I have, I've, I've got all these weapons, I've got these troops, I've got this money, I've got this power. But, and so uh, they may be, they may be uh, delivered or victorious, they may not be. But what point is, uh, sorry, what David is pointing out here is that the Lord, as he looks over all the earth, determines the ends of these wars. And they're completely under his control. So we have in the, the stanza here in verses 13 through 17 that God looks at every single person. He knows all their works. He knows all their thoughts. And God is completely in control of the outcomes of everything. Now, how that all works with the free will of men, we scratch our heads. But it works. Then, verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. Now, the, now God is particularly looking at those who worship God, who are in fear of God, who have faith in God and obey God. On those who hope for his loving kindness. Loving kindness is God's covenant love. It's the love of God that promises things to us. So, again, verse 18. This is important, this switch here. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his loving kindness. So we have God who sees everybody, every single person knows every single thought, and is in control of every single outcome, is now particularly looking at those who respect him and worship him, and fear him. To what? Verse 19, to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine, no matter the suffering. Right? This is what hope does. God is going to do his good will. Why? I fear him. I fear him. 
that things are going to work out for good because I love him and fear him. So again, to deliver the soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name, His reputation. Let Your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us, upon us according as we have hoped in You. Beautiful. So God looking at every single person. Am I... Are you one of the ones who fear Him? Because if we do, this we know. God is particularly looking at us to deliver us from the famine to come, from the death to come. And as our flesh says, don't do that. It's it's going to be awful. And your outlook, if you listen to the flesh, your outlook, your hope is grim. Like Israel thinking they're going to die of thirst in the wilderness. We read about it and we're like, come on guys. You saw ten plagues in Egypt. You walked through the Red Sea. I mean, you saw it all. How do you doubt? How do we doubt? We all do it. But we trust, we have to. We trust in His holy name. Are we one of those who fear Him? And, And if we are... What happens is now, our agape love hopes in others. And we become these marvelous servants of others. Because the hope that we have established in God in our own maturity, in our own journey to the promised land, is now trained on others. And as we're serving them, and they're saying no, and we're serving them, or they're saying no, we're like, well, they're on their own wilderness journey. I don't know how long they're going to be in the wilderness. It's not up to me. God knows that. They may die in the wilderness. They may never come out of it. But that's not my call. You know, God knows that. I don't. So I'm going to keep serving them. Love hopes all things. So in this way... Okay, so our hope is that they will fear the Lord and live in obedient faith, right? That's that's our hope for others. They'll fear the Lord like we do. And you know, I don't if you don't fear the Lord and obey him in faith, I, I think your your agape doesn't function hardly at all anyway. Uh and and all of us have that issue. <laughs> you know, as we as we progress, that is a, that is something that has to be fixed. That um we you know, we can't love as God loves and have our lives ruled by sin. This ain't going to happen. We cannot do this agape thing and be ruled by self-absorption, self-worship, idol worship. It's not going to happen. You can't have both worlds. The world promises you both. God does not. God says it's me or nothing. And, you know, if if we have made, and we're on our way at least towards that, our outlook is joyful. Our outlook is is an expectation of joy. And in this way, as in all other ways of agape, in patience and in kindness and in bearing all things and rejoicing with the truth and all the positive things that are said about it, Agape tells us that self has to be removed from the center of our thoughts. 
hope for another cannot also be wanting for self. They can't go hand in hand. They can't exist at the same time, I should say. Ourselves have to be removed from the center of thought. It doesn't mean that we just completely forget about our entire identity. It's just that ourselves, our wants for ourselves, have to move from the center of thought far, far out. We're never going to get rid of our wants. Actually, I should, I should uh, uh, change that. We are going to get rid of our wants. You know when? In heaven. <laughs> and when you're in heaven, you ain't going to have those wants. Can you imagine a life without want? It's every moment, I would think, is just fulfillment. So anyway, I, ca- I can't picture that. Um, can, so can you imagine now, here's this person, right, that you, is in your life, right? Here's this person that's in your life, and you want something from them. You want that something from them for yourself. Can you agape love them at the same time? But if you're wanting for yourself, isn't that the exact opposite of what agape is? I'll tell you what it is. It's eros love. Wanting for self and actually doing good for others in the process or in the journey of wanting for self is eros love. That's what it is. In its truest, most incipient and deceitful form. Hope for another cannot also be wanting from that same person for ourselves. I expect you to give me this. And they don't. I'm expecting you to give me. And they don't. Can I serve them in hope? No. Often we want people to respond positively to what kindness and love we show them. And when they don't react, or they don't give what we want them to give, and it may be legitimate now. I'm talking about stuff you say, well, you should do that. We react with bitterness. Is that proper? It's not agape. You may need to react. You may need to say something, of course. I think about like raising kids. You know, if they don't react the way that they're supposed to, what am I supposed to, am I supposed to not correct them? Absolutely. But if I blow my top at them and react in bitterness, I accomplish nothing. <clears throat> to do for others because you want something in return is textbook eros. It's not agape. There are people in our lives, they're generally those who are close to us, from whom we want things. Husbands, wives, children, family, friends, workers, congregation members. We look to them with expectation for fulfilling for us certain things that we want. We say, we expect that. We might actually get so caught up in the idea of agape for our enemies that we forget that we're supposed to have agape for those who are right next to us. It's very easy to say, well, yeah, I've got to love my enemies, love my enemies. That's the hardest one. And then we forget about that person who's our closest person. Actually, because we're in contact with them more than anybody else, they demand it. 
Our lives demand it. So our hope for them is in our service to them. We consider them and what God would have us do and say and we pray. And that's all so that they'll draw closer to the Lord. That they'll fear the Lord like we do. That they'll love the Lord. That they'll love His Word. That they'll obey Him in faith. That's our goal. That's our desire. But when our hearts get clouded for what they're supposed to do for us, fulfilling our wants, there's no room for that agape. There's no room for it. If you want for another to draw closer to the Lord, to fear the Lord, to love the Lord, to love His Word, to obey the Lord, and yet at the same time, you're bitter towards them because they haven't given you what you've expected, well, you can't do both. And so the, uh, the result may be that someone says, well, so I shouldn't want anything. And I think, that, as I said, I think in eternity, that's the time where we won't want anything. That day's coming. In time, we're always going to want stuff. We're always going to want things. We're always going to want stuff from people. <clears throat> but we, when we want, and we do, we must, we must never put our wants on a scale, you know, the, the scale that has just the two pans and the bar in between. And uh, you don't want to put your wants on one end of the scale and your happiness on the other. And that your wants from people, from circumstances, from things that are going to influence your happiness. That must never be. Our happiness is ever in the Lord. Our joy is always in the Lord. And from that joy, our faith in the ability of the Almighty God to do the impossible in another person's life as we love them. Not as we're looking for them to give us what we want. And so we hope and we believe in our fulfillment of our happiness comes from the Lord, not from our want. If they don't do what we expected them to do, we still give. We still serve. We're, and in this way, God is taking us through the, the wilderness journey because all of us face this. And God is challenging us to overcome it completely. I think for uh, many Christians, the question never, never even answers their, enters their mind. Never. Because it, you, know, you would have to study agape deeply for that question to ever pop up. You know, for, some, for a lot of people, it's like, of course I should expect that. And, and when they don't get it, they're bitter and they're mad and they think that they're justified. They actually call that righteous indignation. And it's a lie. That's not agape at all. Our joy comes from God and God alone. So, jump forward with me to Romans 12. This isn't about wants. This is hope. Romans 12.9 Hope is the joyful outlook of God's working whatever outcomes from our love for another. And when your flesh says, but what about me? God says, and then we get back to this, I've been using this slide a lot. God says this, 1 Corinthians 2.9, 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Give to them, serve them, support them, be kind, be patient, bear all things, believe, hope, endure. And I look at, you know, I look down that, that's my life, right? And all those wants, I, I, I've gotten rid of quite a few of those wants um, that I used to have. That amazingly, I thought I could never live without. They're gone now. I'm amazed that they are. And, you know, there were some things that I thought, well, once I overcome that, I'll be smooth sailing. And no, it's just that, that whatever that thing was was just kind of clouding over all the other stuff. And once it got out of the way, you're like, oh, my God, I didn't know all that was there. Sure enough, it is. And there's wants. There's wants in me that I know God is saying, now now these have got to go. And I'm like, oh, my God, Lord, what are you going to do to me? I, I, You know, it honestly, in my mind, I get the image of like a, you know, a run-down car in a front yard that's kind of just stripped of everything and it's all rusty and there's nothing in it. And that's what I, you know, the image that comes to my mind. I'm going to be like, well, what's left of me? And God says, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's nothing left of you. There's only me in you. And then you're the real you. The, journey, the wilderness is getting it all out of the way. And just when you get past the bitter waters, then there's no water. Just when you start running, you know, there's food, there's manna from heaven, and you know, and on and on and on. There's just one thing after another, and the whole thing is designed. God has purposely designed it, like we saw in Psalm 33. He has seen the whole thing. He makes all the outcomes. He's designing your way into this life. So look at Romans 12:9. Here is our hope. Hope is the joyful outlook of God's working whatever outcomes to our love of others. Yeah, you're stripped of all wants. And now you are... What are you? <laughs> you're, you're what God wanted you always to be. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. So love without hypocrisy, right? Don't you dare fake this, God said. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's Philadelphia. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Here's our word. Rejoicing in hope. See, hope always looks to the future with brightness, so it rejoices Persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So why the persecution? Well, all that great stuff that you're doing for people in verses 9 through 13 are not going to be accepted well, and they're going to persecute you for it. So he says, bless in return. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Love is kind. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty. Love is not arrogant. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Love doesn't seek itself. Do 
Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Love is not ill-mannered. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Love is not ill-mannered. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Love is kind. Love is patient. Never take your own revenge. Behold, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That means to burn his conscience, not to that God's going to actually burn his brains out. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Fine description of agape love there. And to do this for others um, is to truly, you have to take yourself out of the center. And when you do this, your outlook, your hope, your outlook, even when it gets gloomy, you'll say to yourself, wait a minute, that's not right. And it may look awful, right? It may, whatever circumstance happened, whatever the people said, whatever they did, it doesn't look good. It looks like it's going to be hard. And so we're looking into a future and thinking that we actually see it. But you see, we behave like God behaves without seeing the future. He behaves as He behaves with seeing the future. And God sees it all. And He's not stressed out about it. He's not depressed about it. In fact, God is incredibly pleased about it. He says, like He says, I'll accomplish all my good pleasure. And that is hope for us. To do His will without seeing the future and having a joyful expectation of the future that we don't see. Let's pray. Thank You, Father, for Your Word. Thank You for hope. Thank You for hope that is eternal and that You have made us new so that we can put our hearts and minds into the things that are eternal and as You slowly draw from us the cancer that is self-worship, may we, Father, be complicit in that so that we will spend the least amount of time as possible in the wilderness and live in the promised land. We ask in Christ's name, Amen.